So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. Uh, this is episode number 63, and this is a uh, the third series of a six-part series called The Secret Profit Pillars. And this is uh, the secret profit pillar number three, and this is simply the secret of analyzing fat deals. P-H-A-T, fat deals. And um, this is a fun, this is going to be a fun episode because, you know, this is where actually I think a lot of new investors, they fail. And and I want to tell a couple of pain stories of things that I've done wrong. And so you can kind of understand the mistakes that a lot of new people, um, they, they rush into because what I've seen is analyzing deals. Now that's, that has to do with normally software and making assumptions. And most people will make really, really bad assumptions, right? And they will be way too aggressive in what they think they're going to do. And what happens is because that of aggressiveness, um, they overpromise. And then not only do they overpromise to themselves, but what happens is they overpromise to the people that matter most. And that's your investor. That's the money. And when you do that, it is a recipe for failure. Okay, It's not a recipe for success. It's an absolute recipe for failure. And it can get you into a lot of trouble. Ask me how I know. Okay, (laughs) I am not perfect. I'm here as your fearless leader. And I'm here to tell you, I have failed Time and time again, many times over, I try not to make the same mistake, but I have a lot of battle scars. And so, you know, hopefully one of the benefits of listening to this podcast is you guys can pick up some key nuggets. And when I say guys, I mean guys and gals. Uh, you guys can send, uh, pick up some key nuggets of things not to do. And so, like, I, that's my whole goal is to give my wisdom and my knowledge. So, you know, your um, experience is the sum of two things, all your successes, and I think more importantly, all your failures, all the things you sucked at, right? Or you screwed up, or you broke. And then the story of how you fixed it, and how you figured some things out and internalized it, man, that's where the juice is worth squeeze, okay? And that's, that's really what we want to be able to um, get to is because I believe we should all be doing fat deals, fat deals. I had a mentor a long time ago, 
um, tell me, Corey, do fat deals, don't do skinny deals. If you do a fat deal and it gets skinny, everybody's okay. But if you do a skinny deal and it gets skinny-er, well, that's not good. People are going to get ticked off. It's just no place to operate from. So let's kind of break down analyzing, uh, you know, a deal and, and things that I'm going to call some some rules of thumb that I think you should pay attention to. Um, and some price and pitfalls, okay? So the first thing is when people look at um, broker packets. So normally when you're going to get a deal, you're going to get it from a broker. They're going to send you a OM or an offering memorandum, okay? An offer memorandum. And when you get this OM, you're going to look at it and be like, oh, man, this is... Now, listen, brokers are always going to shade a property to its best light. That's what that's what they get paid to do. They want to make it look like a rose. And our goal as doing our underwriting and our analysis of deals is to pull back the layers so you can actually get to the truth, right? And really, you're just trying to find accurate information so you can base your analyze, you know, your analyzation of a deal, and then making your assumptions of what you can do to that property, right? And so, if we go to the broker packet, what happens is these brokers send you packets, and a lot of times they're confusing. And so, one of the things we do in my in my boardroom class when we uh, we have our boardroom event, we give them a actual broker packet on a deal that I bought, and I say, you know, I, I teach them how to do it. I go over it once, and then I give them this broker pack, and I say, you know, have at it and see uh, see where you come up. And there's like three rows and columns of information. There's this pro forma column. There's a trailing 12, and then there's like some other column, right? And I don't tell them what column to use, what information is accurate. And it's really hard. I mean, it was it's actually complicated. Because brokers do this on purpose. They want to try to confuse you so you can't get the numbers uh, you know, into what I call some type of software. Now, there's lots of software out there to underwrite deals. I am going to highly, highly suggest my software, right? It's called the Kahuna Cashflow Calculator. You can go to uh, cashflowhq.com. And uh, hit the tab that says uh, cash flow calculator. And for 197 bucks, it can be yours. Okay. I want to say you can go to kahunacashflowcalculator.com, but I'm not so certain. <laughs> All right. So go to cashflowhq and then you'll find it. I know that for a fact. But what I realized this, I realized this early on, is that most either most financial calculators for analyzing deals are way too complicated. I mean, extremely complicated. And it's built by, um, for lack of a better term, Excel nerds, okay? (laughs) And data guys, data guys, and they love data. Now, data is good, but too much data can kill you, (laughs) in my opinion. Um, And and what what I'm really looking for is a way to get all the relevant data that I need from a a deal. And then I want to be able to quickly put it into a system and analyze it and be able to have it spit out 
some answers. And so I can analyze those results and say, is this opportunity worth it or not? Does it make sense? Hopefully it does. And so I, I searched long and hard trying to find something that really worked and finally got frustrated. So I had a team uh, help me build mine and I'm very proud of it. I think it's, it's A, it's pretty and it's simple and it works and it works really well. And I think it'll help you get answers to whether you have a deal or not. So you can get ours, but it doesn't matter what software you use because we're not going to talk about software. What I'm going to talk about is the mistakes that I see a lot of new people make. And the first mistake is that most people are speedy, okay? Meaning they are driving the numbers way too fast. They think they can, um, you know, if they had a, an 80% occupied property, they are going to say that they're going to get it to 100% in less than six months. They are going to do all the rehabs in less than six months, half a million dollars. Worth, and they're going to say that there only needs to be $200,000 in rehab when it's really about seven or $800,000 in, in CapEx. And so most people speed. They look at the best case scenario and they overestimate what they really can do. And this is a big, big problem I see is that in your underwriting. So I believe if you if you look at it, if you look at underwriting and analyzing deals from the right perspective, it will give you a key to be to be super successful. And so what goggles are we going to put on? We're going to put on our investors' goggles. The only thing that matters is through your investors' eyes. You have to do it this way, okay? If you do it with your heart, your goggles, like what's in it for me, man, you are going to make mistakes, right? And those mistakes can really, really, really cost you. And so if you, if you try to put your investor goggles on, and you don't have to try I'm telling you, you got to. You absolutely have to if you want to succeed in this business because you have got to hold your capital to such a high standard and high, like, it's got to be gold. It's got to be the golden goose. You've got to say, man, no matter what, I cannot not perform on my investment, Right? And so if you're going to do that, then what are you going to be? You're going to be super, super conservative. And I mean super conservative, where you say no a lot more than you say yes. Ding, 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 right? Can you hear me? Because I'm telling you right now, most new people, they screw this up, man. And it really ticks me off because they are doing capital a disservice and putting bad taste in their mouth when it's absolutely not necessary. And even more so in today's market than anything else, because there is a massive, and I mean massive inflow of capital coming into apartments. The new buzzword is apartments, right? I want to say I started that, but probably Uncle G, Uncle Grant Cardone's got a bigger microphone than I do, right? But, um, I mean, there's lots of people looking at uh, apartments. And, and why is that? Well, I kind of have some insight. 
you know, when the market crashed as a single family fix and flipper like I used to be, and we did really good, right? And then the market started to slow down, right? You, they're back in like 09, 2010, 2008, you could throw a dart and hit a deal. And then those kind of got swept away and market changed. And then you had to learn how to market. And so now, you know, people start doing direct mail. And now they're doing robocalling. And now the margins are getting tighter and tighter in the single family space because the economy is doing pretty well. And so they're waiting for the next downturn. And so everybody's trying to trying to figure out what, what they do. And, and honestly, a lot of these guys for the last 10 years, they've been hustling and grinding, hustling and grinders, hustling and grinders. Navy beans, navy beans, meatloaf sandwich. <laughs> That's an Adam Sandler takeaway. <laughs> so, but there, I mean, people have just been working their butts off in their single family businesses, and they've reached a part where they're they're kind of tired. And I know I was. I was I was tired of being a fix and flipper. I just wanted to like, where can I make cash flow? And that's I made the pivot in 2011. I'm so glad I did, is because I chose cash flow. Right. I actually took Robert Kiyosaki's book to heart because Robert never talked about fixing and flipping. All he talked about was, you know, cash flow and, uh, you know, becoming and the investor, you know, in the ESBI um, you know, quadrants. And a lot of us are starting to finally wake up and smell that coffee. And so anyways, and so there's lots of new people that are going into the business with not much training and um, everything they look at, they think is a deal. And so I, I get this all the time. Even some of my students, they send me deals and some, you know, sometimes they're not, right? Because now what happens is this, right? Is when we really, really want something, we try to make it work. And so this is why I love multifamily because you can truly get unemotional if you base it on numbers, right? If you let the data tell you if you have a deal or not, and don't say, well, I think I this, this deal feels good. If you will not do that, if you will not base your buying on, you know, well, I, you know, I, this looks good. Um, you know, I, I think it only needs about $100,000 CapEx. And um, yeah, you know, we, we turned this thing around in six months. And you're just kind of, you know, ass guessing the whole time. That's, that's going to get you hurt. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you. And I know a lot of investors that do it that way because they're like, well, uh, I, I kind of I have an idea how much it is per rehab, per door. And now, but let me suggest a better way, right, is to be conservative in your approach. And then in due diligence, spend a lot of time analyzing your deal. In other words, do a, a, a true financial audit on the numbers and the financials. Okay, you have to right? Bank statements, all the bills, you know, really understanding every lease and knowing exactly what you have as far as tenants. And then truly, and this is where most people don't do this, in our inspection period time, right, when we're doing our due diligence, we are having vendors come and give us bids on all the items that we believe are CapEx items, and also, we're having inspections done to see if we've not seen, if we've, if there's, if we can discover something not disclosed, because that's a big one. People lie to you all the time. They don't tell you about the things that are wrong with the property. You have to find them most of the times, right? So 
We're going on a mission to kill a deal when I'm when I'm actually even when I'm in due diligence, even after I've put earnest money down, we are willing to walk away from the process if we find something in due diligence and that and we are trying to find something right where we are going there with our eyes wide open. Now, why do we do it this way? Again, I always have my investor goggles on. I'll never take them off. And so when I have that mantra, that 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 thing that that drives me from behind is guiding me. It's like someone whispering in my ear, Corey, make sure we take care of the capital. Can I look my capital in the eyes and say, guys, I know that we've went up and down on this property. I know it's a deal. I know that we've budgeted the right amount of money to fix things up because we've got real bids from other vendors. Um, and we call these do not exceed bids, right? So when we're in our due diligence period, we're, we're going to do bids and we're going to say, we're going to make them do not exceed bids, right? And usually these are from some of the bigger vendors. And honestly, these are the ones that will probably cost a little more, right? And we make, so now think about this for a minute. We're using these bigger vendors and we're asking them to give us do not exceed bids. In other words, if you give me this bid, you're never going to raise the price on me. This is what it really would take to do the deal. Give me a fair and honest bid, okay? A do not exceed bid. Now we're going to take that. And we're going to look at how much capex we've budgeted and see if we're in. The, if we're, we're, you know, we should be close to what that same amount of number. That number. Now, but when we actually do the work, so like if, let's say we're going to build bid out a roof, we will then we'll we'll get a couple roofing contractors to give us do not exceed bids, and you know one could come at a two fifty, one could come at three twenty five. We'll typically sometimes we'll take just the the bigger bid, the three twenty five bid. Um, or sometimes we'll we'll split it the difference, right? We'll try to get the average, and we'll say that's that's probably somewhere in the cost. But when we go to award the roofing contract and actually get you know the job done, we are not going to call just two contractors. We're going to call every contractor known to man that's in the area, right? That's just our process. And we because a lot of times it's not the big roofing contractors that we need. It's Joe the roofer that we need. We need Joe the roofer. And Joe the roofer, as long as he's legally has the right insurance in place and the right, um, you know, uh, history and, and we can verify his work, then Joe the roofer it will probably come in with the right price that will be well below what we thought we were going to do. But we budgeted it based on the high value. Now, again, you, you tell me, are we looking it through the right goggles? I know we are, right? And so this is the things that you have to do when you are analyzing and looking at deals because it's not just a calculator. It's also everything that you do as you're trying to verify the numbers. So in our calculator, right, what we, we, have, we have versions of it. We start off with our first version with all the data that we have, okay? And then we start to inform it. As we get new information or we get more verified data, we inform it or we make changes, right? And we save it and we save it to a new version. Version one, version two, version three, version four, until we get to the final version right before we close the property. We're gonna call that our final version, right? And so, and that's the way it should be done, guys. It shouldn't be just like you did it once and that's it. 
we keep our versions updating as we get new information, as we make little tweaks, as we've gotten better, solider information. Because in, you got to think in the beginning, you don't know as much. And as you go down the rabbit hole, you start to learn about learn a lot about your property. Okay. So with that in mind, let's let's talk about some other things. Right. So what I would like to do is I want to talk about some um, we're going to call this rules of thumb. Right. Because what I see a lot of people do when they get into this business is they start off with rules of thumb that don't quite make sense. Right. Meaning um, they are too, again, to their speeding, right? And you cannot speed in this business. And so w- here's here's what I think some of your rules of thumb should be. So when we talk about like expenses, these are, this is for expense columns, right? So when you're underwriting expenses, a lot of times they're going to say, how much is it per door? So how we underwrite uh, properties in the commercial space is on a per door basis, right? And so we have, uh, and every management company should know their cost, internal cost per door. And I'm gonna share with you mine. I'm gonna share with you how we underwrite properties. So salaries. Now salaries, we used to have this at $1,100 per door. But recently, because the job market is getting tighter and when to attract the right type of person, we've had to start raising our salaries. And so we now underwrite at $12.85 per door um, for salaries and related. So if you had 100 uh, units on a property, right, you're going to be uh, budgeting $128,000 for salaries, okay? Well, that's, that's kind of important to know. And most people, they screw this up, by the way. This is something that's that's most often I've seen people put 900 bucks in there all the time, 850. And I'm telling you, it's 12.85. That if you want to have, you know, a profit sharing program or or some type of 401k match or you know insurance um, to take care of your like to really have an award winning staff, you've got to give the bennies. Okay, if you're doing it from the like I'm just going to try to find the cheapest person. You're not. I mean, going cheap in certain places is not the way to go. We invest highly in our people because our people affect the people at our property. Hello, right? That's how we get it done, man. We're in the people business. If if you guys didn't ever, if you ever, if you thought you were in the rental business. You are mistaken, my friend. We are truly in the people business. When you're in the people business, we have a product called, you know, a home. It's not a rent. It's not. It's not a rental unit. It, it's the product's called a home. It's where people live. And so when we put those goggles on, our tenants goggles, this is their home. And so we've got to be people very highly attuned to the people that we let come onto our property, um, the people that we hire into our system that are, because I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we are, we're doing. We're affecting people and we got to have the right communication skills and we got to be able to love on tenants, but we also got to show them that we have a stick and they're willing to use it, right? That we don't tolerate 
um, you know, loitering and all the crap. We want to have a nice community um, with rules, but we got to do it with a smile and love and we got to really care. And if we don't, then we're, we don't have the right system, right? Or the right people. So we invest highly in our people. It's $12.85 per door, okay? Advertising and promotion. This is something that we used to uh, underwrite at $100 a door. Now we underwrite it at $200 a door. So we've actually we increased this uh, a lot. Why? Because we are starting to use Google pay-per-clicks and some Facebook ad targeting where we can go into a demographic in a city and, and really use some geofencing principles to really find the tenants that are close to our property and then really drive them to our webpage to apply. Now, just so you know, if you can get someone that comes, comes from the internet and signs up and rents, they tend to have a better credit score and more income. That's just a fact, guys. Okay. So we invest in that technology. We like to see that. And because of that, if you get a better quality tenant that has a better uh, credit score and better income, they tend to keep your property better as well. So you don't have as much wear and tear. Again, that's just a profit formula for us. Okay. Maintenance. Now, maintenance is when you go into a property, you you have to budget to upkeep your properties and turns. That is typically $800 a door. It's $900 a door for student housing because students tend to put a little more holes in walls, okay? They do a little more damage than the average tenant, right? But $900 a door will get you there. And that's, that's a good average, okay? Office admin, okay? Office admin, we used to have it uh, $100, and now we, we've, uh, we've bumped it up to $150. Now, why do we bump things up like, We've kept them here for quite a bit of time, but it's just the market is now, uh, it's time to update our numbers. And sometimes you just have to realize that the cost of stuff goes up. And so if you've got to update your underwriting, and that's what we've done. And then now here's where a lot of people screw things up um, is in insurance. They don't actually go get real insurance quotes. And so you've got to have a good insurance agent on your team to get your costs per door for insurance, right? And that's that's where a lot of people, they, they don't quite understand that part, that you just can't put in a number. You have to go get a number, and you gotta have your insurance agent give you that number, right? And most people are trying to wing it, and the, or they'll use the other broker's uh, number. Well, they have no idea what they have, maybe because that, that guy, that other, the seller, I mean, the seller, could have 20,000 units and he gets a bulk, bulk discount on his insurance, right? You just never know. So you can't use the seller's insurance numbers. You got to go find your own. And then utilities, a lot of times, this is where you've got to really verify. So in utilities, most people don't um, verify utilities, right? You have to really verify and know that all the utilities are being represented in an actual operating memorandum, right? And the only way you can do that is by getting a copy of the utilities and to try to get three months of them in the rears, right? Of each thing that was billable at the property for utilities. Then you can get an accurate of what a monthly cost is and you times it times 12. And you can kind of get, you know, you'd like to see a whole year, but if you can at least get three, that's good, okay? Taxes. 
Taxes is another big mistake that a lot of new people make in that they'll use the same taxes that the seller paid in the previous year, but in year two, something has to change. And what most people don't do is they don't underwrite the cost of taxes going up because of the new purchase price. And we, as a company, we will underwrite the entire risk based on the mill rate, right, of the, you know, 80% of the sell, of the, you know, the sales price, times that times the city and county mill rate, and we will underwrite that full amount, okay? Now, a lot of times that's not exactly how taxes are figured, but that is our rule of thumb, and we, and we will underwrite the full risk because what because ha- sometimes taxes is political, right? Or that the, the city will do things that, and if you don't underwrite the cost going up, and and it does, and all of a sudden you're forty thousand dollars difference in your money that you're receiving now, and now you can't pay your investors, you're gonna look like an idiot, right? And you don't want to look like an idiot. You want to make sure that you look like I know what I'm doing. Right. It's just it's so important. It's vitally important that you do it this way. And most people don't. Okay. The other thing is CapEx. Now, CapEx is honestly where most people they they screw this up and reserves. Okay. Reserves per door around two, you should be 265, 265. And then what you got to do is you've got to inform this because the bank is going to tell you what to do. Okay, and they're going to tell you what your reserves are going to have to be. Then you have to make the adjustment, right? So you have to update and inform your underwriting. And then on the CapEx per unit. Now, this is something that that really takes time to dial it in, right? And what I recommend is that you really lean hard on the brokers for this and say, what what do you think your cost per door is? Or then you or you've got to get all bids while you're trying to look at a product, if you're new and you don't know what's going on, try to get some like a, a general contractor to come out with you and look at the units and then so you can get a, you know, hey, how much money would it take to do this, right? To refresh the, the cabinets, to put door new, new knobs, some new fixtures, put new, uh, you know, face plates and switches and all the units. What is that, what is that average turn cost going to be? Is there anything outside that needs to be done? Do we need to do a heavy cutting all the shrubs and just, you know, cleaning up the mess on properties. Cause most of these properties that we buy tend to be overgrown, tend to be just like nightmares, uh, you know, light looking, right. Deferred, not complete, not fresh. And so, you know, at the very least we start with $2,000 and then we just go up. So we start with $2,000 initially in, in all my, in my template, my model template, that's where we start. And then as we do a site visit, we're going to dial that in, right? And my goal to you just to be to to tell you that do not be afraid to put in more rehab, right? Because most of the times you're going to exceed it, right? That's that's just what happens. Um, And the last thing that I do, so this is kind of some ninja tricks, right? So in my underwriting, I always underwrite for 25% down. I never underwrite at uh, 80%. I always underwrite at 25%. If I can get 85% leverage, great, or 80% leverage, that's great, but I never underwrite that way. Um, I'm currently underwriting at 5.75 on my rate. It's a little bit high, <clears throat> but um, I like it. I, I like to make my deals qualify with that rate 
Now, here's a little ninja trick that I do. In my amateurization schedule, I put in 25 years. I don't am amateurize it for 30. And why, why do I do that? Just gives me an, an extra little bit of dry powder, right? So I make my deals qualify. And when I show my, my numbers to investors, I have that dry powder put in at that 25 years in amortization, right? Not 30, because most times I'll get 30-year amps. Again, this is just something that I'm trying to do to give myself a way to, that I can under-promise and over-deliver. Guys, that is the goal. That is what you're trying to do when you're underwriting and analyzing and, and trying to make fat deals is that you have to under-promise and over-deliver. If you will do that and you will keep your goggles on for you know, from your investor's point of view, okay, that right there will help you underwrite to success and it will allow you to have secret cash flow, fat deals coming into your pipeline. And most of your deals will not qualify and just know that. And you gotta be okay with it, right? Because how many deals does it take to be super successful in the multifamily game? Just one, just one. I become a multimillionaire because of one property. Now I own a lot, but one property got me there. So if you only could buy just one deal a year, you took your time and you, you were very super conservative, but when you did get the deal, you got a great deal and you were happy with it and it made money and you were conservative and you actually beat your metrics each and every month. And your investors look at it and said, man, you're, you're beating your numbers each and every month. Would that not be success? I'm telling you, that is the success formula. That is how you get it done in today's game, right? So guys, take the time to uh, you know leave some comments on iTunes if you want. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Uh, this pillar is the secret to analyzing fat deals is to make sure that you don't speed, that you're very conservative in your underwriting and your costs per uh, in your expenses, that you don't try to uh, have rent growth going out the wazoo. Uh, by the way, before I, before I leave this, I want to go over two more things I, I just remembered, right, is vacancy, right? You don't go from, we talked about this earlier, but you don't go from, you know, 80% occupancy to like 92. You go from like 80 to 85 to, to 90, you know, and then, you know, maybe to 94. Now, 94% is the highest occupancy you should ever underwrite a deal to. You never underwrite it to any more, anything more than that. And then your concessions line. So if you're having concessions, always underwrite your concessions at 3%. And then in your increase per year assumptions, most of the time we will do a 3% increase in year one, and then usually a 6% increase in year two, and then year three plus is three. Very rarely will we ever make year two increase to 9%, right? It's usually six. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because usually in the first year, you may be able to increase rents a little bit as you're just, you're, there's some opportunity there, but be conservative in this process. Do not overbet how, how fast and how much you're going to raise the rents. Now, you want to theoretically do that, but on paper, when you're modeling whether you have a deal or not, do not do that. Be super slow, uh, act like things are gonna take double the amount of time for it to happen, and that it's gonna yield 
half of the results that you think. If you will do that on paper, that will lead you to underwriting conservatively. And then you can go into in front of your capital with confidence, knowing that you do the right thing, that you do take care of your investors, and you can say it with integrity. And I'm telling you, people will understand that in your voice and in your language and in your demeanor. That is how you win capital over time and time again. It has to be, you base it on the data, not on your emotions, and that you've got conservative underwriting principles that you can count on that, that will transfer in your communications to the person on the other side that's looking to give you their money. And that is how you raise a crap ton of money and how you analyze fat deals. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Your paradise is possible.